Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the Word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. We've been going through this End Time Sermon series, and this is the fourth week of the End Time series, and we're going to be discussing the return of Christ. We've been kind of going chronologically, but before we jump into the second coming, I do want to do a little compare-contrast, because we, we talked about the rapture. And a lot of times the rapture is confused with the second coming, okay? A lot of times we have this confusion, we have this mix-up, well, there's the same event. And so what we saw was that the rapture and the second coming are two different events described in, this, in the Bible. The rapture is, is seen in 1 Thessalonians and in chapter 4 where it's the harpads, the catching up of the and And so the rapture is only seen by believers, Okay, unbelievers are not going to see Jesus calling us up, and they're going to see Jesus up in the clouds. They're not going to see that. They're only going to see, only believers are going to be called up. They're going to notice that, you know, hey, my neighbors are gone, and, and, and people are missing, but they're not going to experience the rapture. But the second coming, every eye, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Everybody will notice. This is not like a lot of people say, well, the second coming happened in 70 A.D., no, it didn't. Nobody saw, I mean, some people saw him in the clouds, or it happened in the 1800s. Jesus showed up, and it was secret. He was hiding behind things, and, and people, he was, you know, only revealed himself to a few people. Guys, that's ridiculous. When Jesus finally returns in the second coming, it's not going to be a mistake. It's not going to be confused. It's not going to be like, oh, is that Jesus or a UFO? Is that, is that, you know, is that, what is that? Is that a, you know, it's going to be every eye will say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Every tongue will confess. Second thing is the rapture. The saints will be called up to be with Jesus. And the, the second coming, the saints will come back, as Jude says, will come back to be with the Lord and, and rule with the, the Lord for a millennial, for a millennial kingdom, okay? The thousand-year reign of Jesus. In the rapture, the rapture takes place before the, the seven-year tribulation. The second coming takes place after the seven years of tribulation. People will say, well... How can there be two comings? Because the Bible doesn't say anything about two comings of Jesus, right? No, it doesn't. But here's the thing. The rapture is not a coming of Jesus. It is a calling up of his bride. Does that make sense? It's a calling up. It's a catching up. It's a harpazo or raptorus in the, in the, in the Latin. It is the catching up. Just as Enoch was caught up to be with God, just as Elijah was caught up to be with Lord, we see that the church will be caught up. God not come down. Jesus does not set foot. It is the second coming where Jesus plants his feet on the ground and comes back. Okay, so that is the rapture versus the second coming. Now, okay, good. I was like, it's not working. Um, so let's kind of jump into the second coming. Before we do, let's kind of know where we are because remember, what's the purpose of this sermon series? It's 
so that we have a broad view of the end times. So when we talk about the end times, you kind of know what we're talking about. You know what it is. You know the, the chrono chronology. You know how it, the order of it is. So the first week we talked about there was three distinct groups of people in the Bible that God has ordained. Now, what are the three groups? Gentiles, the Jews, nation of Israel, and the church. Okay, the three groups, the Gentile nations, the, the church, and the nation of Israel. The first week, we looked at the Gentile nations and Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the statue. We don't have a lot of time to go into this, but basically, he has a dream of a statue. Daniel interprets it and says, this is the Gentile nations. There's going to be Babylon, Assyria. There's going to be Medo, uh, the, the, the Grecians. There's going to be the Romans. And at the very end is going to be the feet kingdom, right? That's the seven-year tribulation period with the one-world government, the ten-toe confederate states ruled by the Antichrist. That is their prophecy. That is the world powers that are going to take place. And then there's going to be a stone that no man carved. is going to crush this statue in the world system and the world government. And this stone is Jesus. That's the return of Christ. He's going to crush all world governments, and he's going to create his own government, his own power. He's going to rule for a thousand years. Then we get to chapter 19, uh, 9 of Daniel, where he says this is the nation of Israel's prophecy, the 70 weeks prophecy. We saw 490 years are given to the, the nation of Israel, 69 weeks. I don't have time to go all that because go back and, and watch the sermon. But 69 weeks, Daniel says, until the Messiah comes and is cut off. And we saw that, guys, this is the cool part. We saw that from the time it was commissioned to rebuild, as Daniel prophesied, to the time Jesus rode in on a donkey, it was 69 weeks or 483 years to the day. God's word is faithful and true. We can trust in the promises of God. Then there's a week, there's a gap between the, the 69th week and the 70th week because Daniel did not see this mystery made known. But the last week is the last week of Israel's prophecy. This is the, the, the seven weeks of tribulation, the seven weeks of Jacob's trouble, or the seven, weeks of, or seven years of, Dan, uh, of the day of the Lord. Now, remember, this is not for the church. This is for the nation of Israel. God says this, this is a, a period for Israel to return back to me, to come to Yeshua HaMashiach, to come to their Messiah. Because right now they are hardened, and God's going to remove the hardening, as Romans says, and they're going to come back to him. Then we get to the church. Now, between the 69th week and the 70th week is this mystery made known. It's this church. It's when God supernaturally poured his spirit on his believers, fell on the believers, indwelled the believers, and they created this new entity, the bride of Christ, the church, the new man. Because this is a mystery that the Old Testament prophets and saints would have been blown away by. They, they knew nothing of this. Like, this is crazy. Like, listen to me. Some of y'all are like, eh, I, I get it. We are, we, yeah, Holy Spirit in us. I'm a temple. Guys, this would have blown the, prophet, the pro prophets away. The idea that not only God, they understood God falling on me and performing something in me for a period of time. God wants to speak through me, so he's going to send the Spirit to fall upon me. They would have understood that. But God living in me? That the same spirit that Daniel talked about, the third person of the, the Godhead, the Trinity, God, the same person that resurrected Jesus from the grave, the same God that breathed and things were created, that spirit lives in me. No longer do I have to go to the tabernacle or to the temple and go before the Holy of Holies and pray to God and be in the presence of God that I am the temple of God. Y'all, I hope that's not common to you. I mean... We say, oh, yeah, I get it. I'm a temple of God. Yeah. Great. Let's move on. 
Because what if I told you this morning while I was driving into church, I was parked at that red light right there, and the big semi-truck going 60 miles an hour drilled me, hit me this morning. Would you believe me? No, because you look at me, and you say, uh, you'd be at least limping. Or and you look at my truck, truck's fine. Like, nothing, you wouldn't believe me. We say that we have the spirit of God who created the universe. Living in, me, living in us, living in me. And we're like, I mean, do we believe it? If so, somebody needs to tell your face, okay? We have the Spirit of God in us. Hopefully, that doesn't become common. That's a mystery made known. That's the new man that Paul talks about because we are the bride of Christ. And our groom is coming back for us, y'all. Like our groom is coming back for us. The harpazo, guys, are we ready? Are we waiting for him? Are we longing? Are we excited to see our bridegroom coming out of the clouds? Are we excited to be called up to have the wedding feast of the Lamb? Are we excited for that? You know, if I'm honest, <clears throat> I'm just going to be honest with y'all. There have been times in my life where I've not, I've actually prayed, God, not yet. You know, like I've experienced things life like when I was getting married during my engagement period I was like you know God I just really want to experience marriage and all that goes with it I, I mean I just I want to be married not yet don't come yet please and there were times I mean I was just even this week I was praying I was like man check my spirit check my heart I was really having to confess to God because this week I was thinking man there are times even right now with my little babies like I'm looking at Octavia there's times I'm sitting with her and she's and she's just hugging I love you, Daddy, and, and just oh, this just sweet moment. I'm just praying, God, I don't know what I did to be this blessed, but I'm just, I'm so blessed, God. You have this beautiful family that you surround me with. It's blessing, and I don't know if I, anything could be better than this. And I have to check my spirit, and I guess maybe some of y'all are the same. There are times in your life that you're like, man, I don't know, God. I want to enjoy this time of this vacation, or I'm really excited about this. I don't know if that could be... If or you coming back would be better than this. I, I just really, or maybe some of y'all have justified motives. Well, like maybe my, my neighbor's not saved, or my mom's not saved, or my family's not saved, and I don't want you to come back just yet because I want you to, I want, I want them to come to salvation. Because, and, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying God's creation. There's nothing wrong. We're called to enjoy God's creation. But the problem is, is when we start to enjoy God's creation over enjoying the creator, when we start to enjoy the creation to the point where we do no, no longer desire or anticipate or are excited about our creator, especially enjoying the world so much that we don't want Christ to return. It's like this. A couple months ago, we went, I went to the beach for a funeral, my uncle's funeral. This is the first time I've left my babies, okay? First time I've left my family all, you know, I was there for only three days, left Friday, Saturday, and then came back Sunday. But I missed them, y'all. Like, I missed them like crazy. Like, and, and I would call them every couple hours. Like, on the way there, I'd drive. I'm calling Savannah because the kids are in daycare. I'm like, calling. Like, how are you doing? And then, you know, throughout the day, I'd be calling them. And then I, I hear on Savannah's, like, voice, just stressed. 
like, uh, you know, Octavia's punching Judah, and Judah's trying to eat a rock, and it's just crazy, and she's trying to keep them all in, and she's never, she's having to deal with this mess, and this, this chaos, and this stress when I hear it in her voice, and then I call at night at bedtime to say goodnight to my babies, and I hear in the background uh, Octavia screaming, Daddy, Daddy, I don't want, I want Daddy to put me to bed, I want Daddy, and she's just stressed, Savannah's like, are you okay, uh, can, can I go, I gotta take care of this, and I'm like, and I didn't tell her this at the time, but everything in me loved it. I'm not going to lie. I kept my mouth shut. But I was like, everything in me was like, that's right. They miss me. My baby wants me. And, and so I get up early on Sunday morning because I can't wait to see my babies. I get up at 3 o'clock and get on the road because I want a full day to see my family and be with my family. And I pull into the driveway, and there's Octavia, runs out to the car, arms open wide, gives me a big hug, and then Savannah gives me a hug. And it's just like, I just felt like the king of the world. I have all this, this love that they, they, they missed me. But could you imagine if I call Savannah and she's like, babe, things are awesome. In fact, Judah, she's sleeping better than she's ever slept. You must have this bad aura or something that you bring into the environment. And actually, I put to bed Octavia last night and she was like, mommy, this is so much better than when daddy puts me to bed. I, I actually love it. That when you, can you just put me to bed the rest of the time? I, it's, it's nice not having daddy here. Can, just keep, can, you, can he stay away? And, and, Octavia, and Savannah's like, babe, you know what? This is really amazing. Like you could actually, we could just talk once a day. You don't have to call me every other day or every other hour. Just call me once a day. Maybe just a couple of days. Just give us some time. Take some time. Stay away longer. Stay as long as you want. It's okay. And I'm like, there's no way that they really believe that. So I drive home. I'm excited to see them. I get into the door with all my luggage. And they're like, oh, it's you. What are you doing here? We're having a good time. Guys, that's, that's the crazy thing. It sounds harsh. That's what we do with Jesus. We, we, we love our phone relationship. Jesus, I don't want you to, I don't want to see you. I like this phone thing. I, you, you don't have to even call me every day. I, I mean, let's just make it once every couple days. Maybe once a week. And I'll call you and, and tell you, can you give me this? Can you give me that? Can you give me this? Then I'll hang up and then we could go on and I could just enjoy my life. I just, I'm not ready for you to come back. I'm enjoying it without you. Because we are the bride of Jesus Christ, and what bride is not excited about their wedding day? And I would dare to say, if you are not excited and anticipating and ready for the wedding of Jesus Christ, then there is something wrong with your relationship with Jesus. There's something wrong. There's something off. That we are supposed to be anticipating, longing for our groom to come Back. Are we ready? Are we excited? And in fact, Jesus explains this wedding feast in, in, in Revelation. Right before he returns, this is what's taking place in heaven. So right before Jesus returns, this takes place in heaven. It's the marriage supper or the marriage of the Lamb. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Who's his wife? us and her and, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen you're gonna look beautiful clean and bright and the fine linen is what the righteous acts of the saints then he said to me right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb guys the, the bible says we are the bride everything that jesus has talked about is talking about the traditional marriage in the hebrew uh in the hebrew tradition this is everything it's all the bible it's a marriage it's a hebrew marriage 
In fact, when Jesus says to his disciples, when he says, take and drink this, a part of that communion is in this tradition. I just learned this this week. It's pretty cool. Part of that tradition is you take the past the cup. If the woman does not want to marry, she pushes the cup away. If she wants to marry, she takes the cup and drinks it. It says, I accept the proposal. And then the, the groom goes off and he goes to his father's house to prepare a place during the engagement period. Now, once again, engagement in this time is not like our engagement where we're engaged, but we're just really dating with a fancier title and a ring. No, this is like you are, if you want to get out of engagement, you got to get a divorce. You're, you're married. You're just not married. Okay. It's by legal standards, you are married. And so you have this engagement period where the groom goes off, prepares a place. And that's what Jesus says to his disciples. I'm going off to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I would not tell you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's home. And I will come back and bring you where I am. He's talking about the marriage. He's talking about the wedding. But here's the thing. The bride is doing something here. During, while the husband is, while the groom is off doing his own thing, preparing the place, the bride has a responsibility. What's the bride doing? Pretty much what we do getting yourself ready, right? What's the first thing a bride does when we, she gets engaged? She gets a gym membership, right? She gets a gym. We, we got to lose weight. We got to get things tucked, and we, we got to go out, and we buy the, the, the nicest dress, the most expensive dress that's going to cost more than your car, and, and we're going to wear once, and you wear the, the nicest, the two sizes too small, so you can squeeze everything in it. You want to look as beautiful as you can. You go get your nails done, get a fake spray on tan, and then you get all this makeup on, your hair done, you get new, new hairdo, everything. You want to. Your goal is to be the most beautiful bride who walks down an aisle that's ever existed, so your husband is just crying when she, he sees you that's your goal and what does it say here what is the bride wearing it says fine linen what's the fine linen the acts of righteousness of the saints because the truth is, is we are saved by faith alone by grace alone in christ alone that's the truth we're not saved by works but we are saved for good works we're not saved by works, we're saved for good works. Jesus says you are the light of the world. Let your light shine in such a way that the world sees your good works and they are give glory to God. Paul says, live in such a way that your life is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, when we, when we die or when we are raptured, we're going to go through the refining fire. Now, this is not the wrathful fire, this is refining fire. And what's going to happen is that everything that you've done that's worldly, that's hay, straw, wood, he says. It's worldly. It's for yourself. You spent money on yourself. You spent time and energy on yourself. It's just all about you, worldly, building up your kingdom. All of that will be burned away. But everything you spent on the kingdom, the, 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 on God's eternal kingdom, on, on lasting things, on eternal things, all of that, the precious stones, the righteous acts, will be preserved through the fire. So some of y'all will go through it and everything you've done is for the world and you will, you yourself, it says, you yourself will make it through it, but smoking. Some people are going to be having like smoke on their booty as they walk into heaven because that's, that's the imagery here. And what, what John sees is that the, 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 the saints are wearing their righteous acts. Man, some of y'all in this room are going to be gorgeous on your wedding day. Gorgeous. Because you've lived your life for the righteousness of God. You've lived your life to serve God. You spent your money to serve, advance his kingdom. You spent your energy on him. You've worked on all eternal things. You just, when you talk to people, your, your goal is to bring glory to God, not yourself. When you get on Instagram, use Instagram and social media to glorify God, not yourself. Not say, hey, Gucci, Gucci, look at me. None of that garbage. It's all about Jesus. And so when you get to heaven, all of that's going to be preserved, and you are going to look gorgeous. 
Some of y'all will be showing up in your underwear. And I'm not talking about sexy underwear. I'm talking about whitey tidies with stains on them and holes, okay? Imagery, all right? Imagery. Why? Because you're, this far, your life, you've lived for yourself. It's all been about yourself. It's all been about the world. Everything you do is for you, for your glory, for your kingdom, for your world. And so when you go through the refining fire, everything will be burned up, leaving nothing but you left. And guys, if I were to talk to a bride, I, I get to marry people occasionally. Uh, I get excited about marrying people unless I, I have questions about the people. Um, and I'm like, I don't know if they're going to make it. Uh, but it's only happened once. I'm not going to tell them who it is. Um, but, sorry. Um, but I get excited. So, but if I ever ask the bride, hey, are you excited? And she's like, eh. Like, are you ready? Are you prepared? Did you get a dress? Nah. I'll wait till the last week. We'll get some at Walmart. We'll be fine. I mean, are you preparing? Are you thinking about it? Eh, we'll figure it out. I guess I would tell the groom, you're making a mistake. I'd be like, dude, she, she doesn't care. And yet, many Christians, you excited? Hmm. Are you preparing? Have you bought a dress? Are you preparing to look beautiful? Yeah, I'll wait. Eh, it's okay. I'll get something at Walmart. That's how we live, y'all. What bride is not excited? What bride is not excited? So we are the bride of Christ. So that's what's happening in heaven. But then we see the glimpse of what's about to take place on earth when Jesus comes back. Now, real quick, what's taking place on earth? We have the seven years of tribulation. Antichrist comes, sets up the, 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 the peace treaty with Israel halfway through. He breaks the peace treaty, sets the abomination of desolation in the temple. We see the 666 right there in the halfway through. We see the persecution of the saints halfway through. We see the six seals in the first half. We see the seven trumpets in the second half. We see the last bolt judgments. Boom, boom, boom. Rapid fire right at the end before Jesus comes back. Now, remember, up to the fifth bold judgment, what are the people on earth doing? They're still cursing God. After the heat, after the boils, after the plagues, they're still shaking their fist, fist at God and saying, curse you. And it was the saddest thing that we've, I've ever read in the Bible. And then what's, more, what's even worse is that after the fifth bowl, we see no more chance for repentance. We see no more mention of repentance because it's over. Time's up. In fact, the sixth bowl, this is the sixth bowl. I want to read this. Sixth bowl, when the sixth bowl poured out his bowl, the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up. And so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For there are spirits of demons performing signs which to go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them together for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walks naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together to a place in the, that is called in the Hebrew Armageddon. So it says the sixth bowl poured out on the great river Euphrates. The river Euphrates is one of the most significant rivers in all of the Middle East. It's the longest river. It runs from Mount Ararat all the way down to the, Medi not the, medicine, the uh, uh, Persian Gulf. And, and in fact, Mount Ararat is where Noah's Ark landed. Fun fact. Anyways, so all the way down to the Persian Gulf. Now, it's, it's a significant river. It's the lifeblood of this area. 
In fact, this is where we see in Revelation 9, the demons are burst out of the earth. It's the 200 million demons. This is where uh, Garden of Eden is found in the vicinity of uh, the uh, Euphrates River. But when the sixth bowl pours out on the Euphrates River, we see the whole river drying up. And when it dries up, it says that the unholy trinity, the, the dragon, Satan, the beast, the antichrist, and then the false prophet, the unholy trinity, out of their mouths comes these demons like frogs. They're not real frogs, but we know in Leviticus 11 that frogs are unclean. And so these demons have one purpose. That's to go out and to deceive and to bring all the kings of the earth to one place. This is the epitome of anti-repentance. This is the epitome of rebellion. This is the epitome of hatred towards God. Is not only are they shaking their fists, but now the, the demons are gathering them together to a place to go to war against God. And they all come to a place of Armageddon. Now, this is a real valley. This is the Valley of Megiddo, or it's the Plain of Estrelon. It runs near the uh, Mount Carmel where Elijah uh, slayed 450 prophets of Baal. So this is the Valley of Megiddo. It's about two, 20 miles long, 15 miles wide. In fact, in the Valley of Megiddo is where Deborah and Barak and Judges defeated uh, Caesarea and um, Jabin's army. It's where uh, uh, Gideon took 300 men and defeated the Midianites there. It's where Saul and Jonathan were killed on Mount Gilboa right next to uh, the, the, this valley. They were killed uh, in battle there where uh, J, uh, uh, Ahuziah, Ahaziah dies there as a king. Jo Jos Josiah dies there as a king. So this is a very, this is a plane that there are a lot of battles, a lot of wars spent. And then finally, the final battle that's going to be spent is all the kings are going to come here and they're going to go against God and they're going to fight in the battle of Armageddon. How many of y'all heard of the battle of Armageddon? Most people have heard of the battle of Armageddon. And most unbelievers have heard of this battle of Armageddon. I've heard a lot of people talk about the battle, like what is it going to be like? Any of their excited? I've heard Christians, many men, Usually men, not women, they don't get too excited about this, but men, they're like, I can't wait till the battle of Armageddon. When I get to be on a horse, like a stallion, like not me, I hate horses. I'm like, can I have the pony? Like, I, I want something smaller, okay? Uh, just, or just a dragon, something different. Uh, but they, I'm excited, I get to be on a horse, I get to have a sword, I get to start slaying some people down. It's going to be like that, you know, brave art scene where I get to scream and the William Wallace, like, freedom, and, and go in and slay my neighbors because I don't like them anyways, and I get to go after some people. All the people that made fun of me in preschool, I'm going after them, like, I get to do that. Because the question is, is that what it's going to be like? Is this brave heart, freedom on a horse, you get war paint and slaying down people? You know, when I was reading this, it reminded me of a story in the Bible. Think about what this reminds you of. This, this battle, this, 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 this people group go against war, go to war against God and his people. That they want to go out and defeat God's people. That they hate God because he sent plague after plague after plague upon them to the point where rather than repenting, they turn in rebellion and to try to slaughter all of God's people. What does that sound like? Egypt. Sounds like Egypt. In fact, what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. What does he do here? He dries up the river Euphrates. And see, the king's armies crossing the river Euphrates was not a byproduct of the river drying up. This was, God says, I, dr I dried up the river Euphrates so that the armies can cross. This is God drying up the river Euphrates, rolling out a red carpet, bring it. Come. 
come to this place. He drew them into this place. But here's the, here's the thing. The Egyptians didn't get the battle they were looking for. They didn't get the war they were looking for. They didn't get to slay nobody. God was not fearful. He was not dreading, like, who's going to win? Like, no, they crossed over dry land. The Egyptians followed in, and God's like, Waters tumble over, they die, they all are crushed. Because I do not believe, it doesn't make sense theologically why there's going to be a great Braveheart moment at the end times when God is the all-powerful God and it says that Jesus has already won the victory. Hebrews chapter 2 says, 14 says, through death that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. First John says, for this purpose, the son of God will manif be manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. John chapter 16 says, in the world you will have tribulations, but be a good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Christ has already rendered the devil powerless. All this coward can do is wander around the earth trying to deceive many people, waiting for his destruction, trying to bring as many people down as you can. If you're the only part person in battle going against a thousand people you know you're not gonna win you know you're gonna die what's your goal you're gonna be like, oh i surrender you know you ain't i'm gonna take as many fools you down with me i can't i'm gonna try to get as many people as i can y'all kill me but i'm gonna go down fighting that's all satan could do that's all satan did it's not gonna be this, this awesome moment where you get to yell freedom because it's for freedom that christ set you free christ has won the battle especially in light of what we see in Revelation 19. Read this. Revelation 19, this is when Jesus comes down. Now I saw the heavens opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in his righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written on them that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the enemy and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on a white horse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that, that with it he would strike down the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of god almighty and he has on his robe that the name and on his thigh the name king of kings lord of lords because i want you to imagine this scene try to picture this in fact i didn't put a picture on the the, the tv for a purpose because i didn't want to stay i found some pictures of cheesy pictures of jesus coming down like this and it was like what I didn't want to stain your image of this because there's nothing that's going to compare to this. The heavens open up and this being comes in on a white horse. His eyes are like fire. Out of his mouth is the, word of, the sword of the word of God. He's got crowns on his head. He's got blood splattered on his, on his robe. He, 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 he's got thousands, Jude chapter, four, Jude chapter 1 verse 14 says there's thousands of his saints following him, riding in with him. Like, if you saw this, what would you do? Would you be casual? Oh, there's a, there's a horse in the sky. Is that Jesus? Of course, there's no way we would be casual if we got to see the King of Kings riding in out of the clouds. Like, imagine this. Like, if we saw, because I, I don't know what image you have in your head when you think of Jesus. 
Like, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of Jesus. A lot of times, maybe it's a picture of, of, of the Jesus you saw on a picture or a painting that you used to have on the wall, or maybe a movie you saw, and it's like this Middle Eastern man. He's 5'10", 185 pounds. He's the suffering servant. He's the lamb. He comes in, and, and he, you know, he's, he's in the, born in the major next to cow poo, and he, he grows up and is hated by people, and, and, and he's hated by his, his humble, humbling, humble suffering servant that he dies on the cross. That's the Jesus that we have is the meek, humble servant. Guys, hear me. That is not the Jesus that is coming back. The Lamb of God is not coming back. It is the Lion from the tribe of Judah that is coming back. Hey guys, when he comes back, the Bible says, the Bible says that there are 100 million of angels worshiping him right now. 100 million angels bowing down before him right now. Ezekiel and Revelation sees four living beings with the head of an ox and head of an eagle, a head of a lion and a head of a man with eyes covering their body from head to toe, six wings, one covering their eyes, one covering their feet, two to fly, all bowing down. These beings that if they showed up in this room, we would be terrified of them. We would be bowing down to them. We would be like, ah, they're going to kill us. These beings are bowing down to him. It says that there's 24 elders worshiping him, casting their crowns, and I'm not worthy to be in your presence, oh Lord. You are the king. You are the alpha. You are the omega. You are in all your glory. You're king of kings. You are the beginning and the end. John in, first, in Revelation chapter 1 gets to see Jesus. This is John. This is the beloved disciple. Jesus had 12 disciples. He had three intimate disciples. He had one that he loved more than the rest. Either that or John was an ego. He was, he was arrogant. <laughs> and I was the beloved. John was the beloved disciple. John had a relationship with Jesus like none of the rest did. He had an intimacy with Jesus like none of the rest did. And when Jesus shows up, what does he say? Oh, Jesus, I missed you, bro. Long time no see. It's good to see you, buddy. Come here. Give me a hug. He, he sees Jesus in all of his glory and he falls to his face and said, I am dead. I can't be in the presence of God. I can't be in the presence of Jesus Christ in all of his glory. I am dead. Why was John so scared? Same reason Peter was scared when he saw that Jesus was God, that I am standing in the presence of divine being. I am standing in the presence of God and I cannot, I am not worthy to stand. I don't know what image comes to your mind when you think about Jesus, but I promise you it's not powerful enough, it is not big enough, it is not strong enough, because if it was, ain't none of us would come in here and worship the way that we do, myself included. If it was big enough, ain't none of us would walk out of this room, chase after idols the way that we do, myself included. None of us. None of us would walk into this world and love it and desire it more than we want to desire him and his return and to be with that God. None of us, if we had the proper view of Jesus. John gets to see Jesus coming out of the clouds. And he says, on his robe was blood. It says dipped in blood, but the Greek word is actually better splattered. Now, he says, a lot of people think, well, this is Jesus. This is representing his first coming. This is representing the cross. It's not, guys. It's not representing the cross. In fact, what does he say? He says that he is uh, treading the winepress of the fury of God's wrath. You guys know what a winepress is? In the, in, the New, in the New and Old Testament, they used to carve out some, an area in a stone or they'd build a, a box and they'd throw grapes in it and they'd have people step on it and just... Now we have big barrels and they do the, do the same thing. They probably have cleaner feet, but... Um, 
And you step on the barrels, and what they would have is they'd have another barrel or another thing, uh, another box, and the grape juice would flow down to that as they're stepping on the grapes. It was just... And as you're stepping on the grapes, what would happen is this, the grape juice would splatter onto your garments. So you'd have this splatter all over the body of your garments. What does it say here? This is the picture that Jesus is giving here. This is the picture that John is giving here, that Jesus is coming down to defeat his enemies, treading on the winepress of God's fury, God's wrath, and on his garments are the drops of blood that is splattered on his garments. In fact, we see this in Revelation 14. Describing this, this battle, this is what it says, and another angel came out in the trampled which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who had power over fire, came out from the altar. Listen to this, guys. And he called with a loud voice to him who had a sharp sickle, saying, put in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster from the vines of the earth, because your grapes are ripe. Hear this. So the angel swung the sickle to the earth and gathered the cluster from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside of the city and blood came out from the winepress up to a horse's bridle about three and a half to four feet high for a distance of 1,600 stadia or 200 miles. 200 miles long, four feet high, the blood of God's enemies. It's tough. I don't think I need to explain this. I think it's easy to understand. I think it's just tough to hear. I think it's tough to hear that, this, that the blood on Jesus' robe. Guys, but I want to read a verse real quick in John chapter 15. It says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. You who abide in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone is not able to abide in me, he is thrown away and the branches are dried up and they are gathered and they are cast into the fire and they are burned. And so Jesus says, look, I am the vine, you are the branches. So us as believers, those who are connected to Jesus, we're connected as the branches to the vine. And so we're pulling from his substance. This is why it drives me crazy, guys. I'm gonna say it again. I say it all the time. When believers aren't in the word and believers are not praying, I don't understand how you do it because we are the branches branches we need the vine we need to be connected to him and diving into him and reading and pulling from the substance from the source but jesus says there's another vine and that's the vine of the earth it says the vine of the earth those will be gathered and they will be slaughtered they will be slaughtered it's no wonder why jesus says fear god over fearing man when Jesus tells his disciples, do not fear man, fear God over fearing man. It's no wonder when he says that, it's no wonder that the angel in heaven is flying over heaven in Revelation singing, what is he screaming out? Fear God. Just imagine like one of those planes with a little tail sign on them. Just fear God. That's what the angel is going around the whole world saying, fear God. Because see, this is not a new doctrine. Fear God. The Old Testament believers, they understood the fear of God. In fact, when Moses went to Mount Sinai, and talked with God and was in the presence of God. He came down from Mount Sinai and the Israelites were like, Moses, stay away, bro. Like, you need to go talk to God. We can't stand in the presence of God. He's too holy. You just tell me what he said. You tell me what God said. We won't go to God because if we go to God, we'll die. Moses, you be our spokesman. 
In fact, they would not even name the name Yahweh or Jehovah. They wouldn't say the name. They would say in Hebrew, Hashem, which means the name. And they knew who they were talking about, but we're not going to dare have the name of Yahweh come from our lips because God's so holy. The priests would not go into the Holy of Holies. They would tie a waist, a rope around their waist and before they entered into the Holy of Holies or else they would die. And then somebody had to go in and pull them out. They would die. It would be a pile of a people dying because you do not go into the Holy of Holies unless you are ready and you are prepared and you are approved by God. So they had to pull the dead body out with the rope. In fact, Aaron's priests, Aaron's sons go into the tabernacle. They offer a burnt sacrifice, unholy. Un, they did it nonchalantly. They didn't do it the way God ordained it to. They died right there in the tabernacle. Remember, David brought the, 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 the um, Ark of the Covenant through Jerusalem, and, and Uzziah, or Uzzah, reaches, is it Uzzah? And Uzzah reaches out to touch the Ark, to stop it from falling. You don't touch the Ark. That's God's ark. That's his ark. That's he is holy. You don't reach out and touch my ark. Uzzah dies. You know, that's the God of the Old Testament. What happens to Sapphira, Ananiah and Sapphira? They lied to the Holy Spirit. They said they sold everything and they gave all the money, but they only gave half the money. What happens to them? God, the Holy Spirit. This is the church. The Holy Spirit strikes them dead. People understood the holiness of God. They understood the power of God. And guys, one of the biggest issues in the church today is that we have gotten rid of the doctrine of the fear of the Lord. We've walked away from the doctrine of the fear of the Lord. We've replaced it with God's my homeboy. God's my friend. Yeah, we're supposed to reverence, but it doesn't really mean reverence. It's just, I don't even know what we believe it means. And here's the thing. What it produces and what it will produce is this flippant attitude where we come in, we, we God, you know, you, you, you're here to serve me. We come into church and we get to worship him how we want to worship him. We just come in half tired and we sing songs like, oh, great, is our God, you know, what time's the game? You know, we pray. And we don't even think about who we're praying to. So God, just give me this. Give me that. Please help me. Please heal me. Please do this. Please do that. And God becomes our genie. We start to live lives that are just where God has to cater to us, where his commands are no longer thus says the Lord. It's what I think goes. And so we start to cater. And guys, God, help us. Because we've lost the fear of the Lord. And when you lose the fear of the Lord, you do not have wisdom. And when you lose the fear of the Lord, guess what happens is you become in a place that you don't belong. You elevate yourself to a position you don't belong. You become God. We start to fear man over fearing God because they are elevated. I, I become the, the all-star of my life. I become the savior of my life. I become everything in my life. And so longer, no longer is it uh, from Enoch to, to, to Abel to Noah to Moses to Abraham to Joshua to, to David to all the, the kings, all the prophets, all the judges, all the saints, all the disciples, all the early church leaders, Clement, Polycarp, uh, Arrhenius, all of these leaders who said, Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's about God, it's about God, it's about God. Now we come on the scene, get rid of the, the wisdom of God, get rid of the fear of the Lord and say, no, no, don't think about Jesus, don't look at God, look at me, look what I can do. I got skills, look how beautiful I am, I'm so hot, look at my Instagram, how many likes can you like me? Oh, look at this, if I just attain this way, maybe you'll like me more. Oh, how can you like me more? 
It's not about you. It's about God. It's about Jesus. And you will never understand the gospel of Jesus until you understand the fear of the Lord. Because if you don't understand the fear of the Lord, then you don't understand what an amazing gospel it is that God became flesh, that God did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but humbled himself, took the form of a man, and died for you. You won't get that. You cheapen the grace of Christ if you, don't, if you get rid of the fear of the Lord. You cheapen the work of the cross if we get rid of the fear of the Lord. I don't know what Jesus you think is coming back. But I promise you, it's not the right Jesus. It's not big enough. You see, right before Jesus comes back, it says the angels and the heavenly beings were worshiping so loud that thunder, it sounded like thunder. If you were in that presence of the worship there, your eardrums would burst. That makes sense in light of who Jesus is. That makes sense in light of who Jesus is. There's submission to Jesus. There's unabashed, unabashed celebration and surrenderance and worship of Jesus. That's, that makes sense. So Jesus is not coming back, and there's not going to be a Braveheart scene. What does it say in 2 Thessalonians? It says this, Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. The same God who said, let there be, the heavens were created. The same God who said, let there be, and the earth was created. And the, the mountains were created, the waters parted, the waters recited, the same, recited, the same God who said, part, it parted. The same God who says, fig tree, curse, it's cursed. The same God who says, the storm, calm, it's calm. The same God that says, demons flee, the demons fled out of the men. The same God that says, Lazarus, rise. The same God who's going to come and say, it is finished and the war is done. From his mouth, the breath of life, the truth of God, the sword of truth, he will destroy the armies Millions upon millions for 200 miles, four feet high. And here's where I'm going to leave us. We are either for him or we're against him. If you're for him, you are get to be a part of the bride, the lamb of God, the, the, the wedding feast of God. If you're against him, you will be part of another feast. This is the other feast described in Revelation. This is the last verse we're going to look at. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Did you know that there is a crazy phenomenon going on right now? I just want to stop here for a second. Where thousands of thousands of birds that, don't, are, not, that are not normally in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, and Palestine, and Israel... Thousands and thousands of birds are migrating there randomly. It's a weird phenomenon that's happening right now. Anyways, this may be why they're gathering. It says, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the mist, come to the great, uh, come to gather for the great supper of God. And it says that you may eat the flesh 
of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses, the flesh of those who sit on them, the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his armies. Then the beast was captured and with them, him the false prophets who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burned with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword was the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh so you could either be a part of the marriage supper of the lamb or you could be the main course of the marriage of God or the, 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 the feast of God a little different than the marriage supper of the lamb that, that's the, because, and hear me, as I was reading this, I'm like, this is not the Jesus that a lot of people picture. And some of us may be in this room like, that's not my Jesus. Like, Jesus can't do that. Like, he can't slaughter people as long as 200 miles, as four feet high, the blood flows like a river. He, that, that, he can't do that. He can't call birds to eat on the flesh of all these people, of his enemies. He can't do that. That's not who Jesus is. That's not the Jesus that I worship. And guys, it may not be the Jesus that you worship, but it is the Jesus. Amen. That's who's coming back. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. And as the band comes up, guys, this, this week, this week as I was, I was um, thinking about this, I'm like, I, I was thinking about this, and I was laying in bed, and Savannah's, you know, drooling and snoring off to my left and I'm like I'm just kidding she doesn't drool or snore she's an angel when she sleeps but I was thinking about this idea of like and I don't know why, why I was thinking about why this came to my mind but I'm like God this is this is crazy like you want me to tell people who you're like you want me to tell you tell people what you're like like I'm, I'm just this this little being I'm David I'm, I'm not even a smart being I'm David and I've got to stand up. And, and it's not even just this sermon. I was just thinking about the whole, the whole idea of being a pastor, that I take the word of God and I've got to try to describe to people what you're saying. The holy God, the creator of the universe, I've got to tell people what you say, thus says the Lord. God, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. God, I don't even know what to say. Because I don't, I, even today, what I told you today, even what the word of God says, it doesn't do, it, it's, he's so much bigger than anything we could imagine. I can't describe to you who's coming back. He's beyond us. He's a being that caused men to fall to their face as if dead. He is a being that, is, that terrifies anybody. He is a being that in the Old Testament says, you can't come in my presence or you will die. Our God is coming back. As a, lamb, as a lion from the tribe of Judah. Guys, let us pray. I just want to close our eyes. And I just want you to just kind of take some time to repent. And then we're going to worship. We're going to worship with a song called lion and the lamb pretty fitting but i want to take some time to repent just gotta for our attitude for our casualness before the way that we worship for the way that we have approached god in our lives for the way let's just take some time and just lay it out to god